0: Reset Rebel, it's the Reset Rebel, it's the Reset Rebel, it's the Reset Rebel
1: coming to you every day. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, welcome back to the Reset Rebel podcast. And I thought I would record a little introduction to today's show because there's several things I would like to address. Um, First up, I am going to be just totally bold to say um, I feel like this podcast puts quite a lot of goodness back into the island in terms of uh, the free places we've been giving on retreats, on the walk around the island, on... Sort of giving treatments to people who really need them here in Ibiza and actually can't afford them. And I've always felt that Ibiza is slightly elitist in terms of the access of the retreat scene. And that's kind of one of the reasons that I decided to start this little project up. Um And we've done quite a lot of that work again this year. Not as much as last year, not as much as I would have liked. But still, you know, we've definitely given away a lot of amazing um beautiful space to people who are suffering from anxiety, depression, loneliness, lostness, you know, stress, um, heartbreak, um, grief, and to me, just to be able to offer that little bit of respite and advice and give some tips and tools and um, ways to renegotiate um, one's interactions with those experiences is pretty priceless and I have done this for about 18 months now. But I don't get paid and not all of our guests are giving gifts back to charity. So I was having a think about how to be able to make this podcast more consistent um, so it goes back to its weekly output and regularity. And the reason I suppose... Um, it has become slightly less of a priority this summer and it hasn't been going out weekly is because I don't get paid for making it. And I spend so much of my time doing the interviews, travelling to them and putting it all together um, that I just don't have enough hours in my life where I don't want to be sitting at a laptop um, to be able to make this happen. So I'm going to open this up. We have 14,000 subscribers now. I don't know if anybody out there know someone a sponsor maybe your business maybe a friend's business maybe a friend of a friend or a colleague that just might have a little uh, project that might be able to support this one um, to make it more you know possible for me to spend more time finding more free retreat spaces with my contacts network on this island um, and also making the podcast and doing the interviews. So if you do know someone that wants to be a sponsor for the Reset Rebel to enable us to spread this message a little bit further, a little bit deeper, and a little bit wider, I couldn't even begin to tell you how much that would mean to me personally. That would then piggyback this introduction um, to the podcast. Option two is that I create an actual web page for the podcast exclusively. And you can donate whatever you think the podcast is worth, perhaps when you listen to it, if you felt a calling to do that. Maybe you've received one of the free treatments or the free spaces and you feel like you would love to donate a little something um, to enable the regularity, as I say, of this podcast um, to be published. So those are two lines of inquiry I'm just putting out into the universe at the beginning of this podcast before we get into today's um, content an interviewee. Um, I'm very excited about introducing you to her shortly. Um, But in the meantime, until we do get a sponsor, there's um, two people, there's two projects that I would also like to support on this podcast until we get an actual sponsor. And I have started... Doing a little bit of news reading work recently um, for a big news network in London uh, for a new project that's being rolled out in America. And a lot of it is based on sort of like US politics and. Yeah, international news, etc. And I feel like I've gone back to my old radio roots to a degree of reading bad news out loud for a living. And having sort of run Brighton Festival Radio when I was living in Brighton and working with Brian Eno, who was the guest artistic director, and he gave a lecture on the reasons for optimism. And I'll never forget this lecture and what he had to say about the fact that we are surrounded by bad news you know there is no good news apparently that's newsworthy in this world and we certainly don't really end up hearing about it and so I thought when I moved to Ibiza and I found the only newspaper that was a good news newspaper upon arrival here this was a kind of like a sign for me and I really wanted to start a good news news program Um, and until such times as I stop news reading again I feel like I want to reverse my radio karma as I've always called it And I feel like this project, The Reset Rebel, is partly doing that, spreading a little bit of joy and um, sharing a little bit of happiness for the people that receive the gifts that our wonderful guests give us on this podcast. But in the meantime, I am going to do a good news news bulletin today from the only good news newspaper on Ibiza, which is called, it was called DeTodo. It is now called La Optimista. So today I'm just going to read three top stories of of the stories that rang my bell and um, share them with you. And a ruling by the Spanish Supreme Court has meant the definitive end of the traditional celebration of Torre de la Vago, a medieval festival with bulls held in the city of Torres Cires in central Spain. A bull will no longer be sent to die at the hands of the public, armed with spears after being chased on the banks of the Duero River. This is the final chapter of a long legal battle by animal rights groups to outlaw this bloody tradition. Elsewhere, Azim Premji, who became a billionaire by turning his father's modest vegetable oil business into the global Wipro software conglomerate, is now leading the way to share wealth with those who need it most. Recently, he made the largest donation in the history of India by awarding the staggering sum of 6,800 million euros to the foundation that bears his name. In total, he's now donated more than €19 million in cash and in shares to the Azim Premji Foundation, which focuses mainly on education. It also supports more than 150 not-for-profit organisations that provide services to disadvantaged and marginalised Indians throughout financial grants. And finally... A group of Chilean scientists have created a plastic bag that does not pollute the environment because it can disappear. The Solu bag is as strong as a traditional plastic bag, but dissolves in contact with water in just five minutes. The bag doesn't leave any type of polluting substance in the water so that it is still drinkable. Now, that leads me on next to the other company, or the other organisation, and the other project that I love on this island. And we have had on the Reset Rebel podcast, which is, of course, the Ibiza Preservation Fund. Sandra Beniste is one of my go-to figureheads and spokespeople here at Ibiza, when I kind of want to find out a little bit more about the health of the island. Um, And they've got a huge event coming up in Jesus from the 26th to the 27th of September. If you want to go to the cultural centre, it's a free event and it's open to the public. And you don't need to register. It's the Marine Forum of Ibiza and Formentera. And what they want to do is they want it to make it into like an annual reference space for debate and proposal construction. Um, so that people can get together and share what happens in the Petusis on selected marine issues. So contributors from international, national or local experts that offer new visions, experiences and opportunities to interact on the island and create a platform um, so that all sectors are basically represented from the public, the private, the civil, with a concern for the conservation of the marine environment in particular and the environment in general. Now, if you have heard the podcast I did with Sandra a couple of months ago now, you might just want to go down there and just at least find out what is going on in the waters of Ibiza. It's not just plastic that's a problem. It is many other things besides. And the sanitary... um, flavour if you will of the water of Ibiza you know is an issue it's definitely an issue I don't know if you've seen smelled experienced um, yeah gotten to grips with any of the problems that we're having in the waters and the marine environment of Ibiza but personally I've seen my fair share of it this summer um, and I think that it is something that if you do live here or care deeply about the island that you do need to take an interest in so that is my speech on that one for the day just to support the ibiza preservation fund and you can go to their webpage at ibizapreservation.org and donate to them and find out more about that event i'm also doing a free event this saturday for full moon i'm actually teaching yoga at chiringuito blue this is not a paid for event but it is a donation based event Um, where you can basically just give five euros or whatever you feel my class is worth. I won't be offended. Again, this, for me, feels like a good time of year to give back. I'm really happy to be doing that. And more importantly, there's such a gorgeous stretch of beach. And you can actually see the moon coming out of the sea there, which I just, every time I see it, it's just spectacular. Uh, So that class is not starting until 8.30 in the evening. Um, And it's going to be very much a music affair to infuse and inspire the movement, um, the fascial flows that we're going to roll through. And it's just going to be lush, basically, but it could be a bit chilly. The weather's not been brilliant this week here. in. Um, It's been quite cloudy and quite rainy. If you are in England or anywhere else that doesn't uh, have a great deal of sunshine right now you'll be glad to know it's not all smugness and sunshine uh, on the Sunshine Isle. So without further ado today's guest Dawn Hindle from Pikes who also just launched their own podcast which you can find on iTunes and elsewhere across the board in the usual spots. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Ewell. And this week, we are one of my favourite establishments on the whole uh, of the island, which is, of course, Pikes Hotel. There's not many people probably uh, across Europe that haven't heard of this place at one point or another. And, of course, we have the wonderful book from uh, the man who owned this fabulous place for a very long time, coming out not that long ago. And I actually only read it myself for the first time when I was in India at the start uh, of the year, and it just made me love it all the more because some of the unbelievable stories uh, and mischief, I suppose, that kind of uh, unfolded in this place makes you kind of just want to come here and experience it for yourself. So I'm super delighted to welcome today's guest to the show, and that is, of course, Dawn Hindle. Thank you, Jo. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so lovely to have you and to kind of talk about your sort of reset rebel, uh, I suppose, across the years in Ibiza. Yeah. I mean, I I actually
0: worked it out um, a couple of weeks ago. I've been saying I've been here for 20 years, for the last five years, and i worked it out, it's actually 25 years. (laughs) Yeah, so... So when did you actually arrive? We arrived in 94. So we arrived in 94 to do do a club night called Manumission. So we did that for um, 15 years, until we just tried to grow up which is sort of impossible in Ibiza then realised we'd get a proper job um, which we're still trying to do and we, um, we started Ibiza Rocks so we just basically brought live music at the time to the island and guitar music and stopped doing nightclubs um, and we did that we're still doing that still doing that and then we got pikes 10 years ago yeah,
1: You are pretty much one of the reasons I moved here indirectly, actually. You actually just reminded me because um, when I was working at Virgin Radio, there was a, a Thursday night show and I was making a documentary for that show for a guy called Steve Harris, who now I think he works at X- XFM. And he asked me to come over here and cover the first the Rocks gig and that is exactly what I did. So I got to spend um, yeah quite a few days hanging out with... Um, Maximo Park and the Kaiser Chiefs and I had obviously the time of my life and I'd already been coming here for sort of like 20 years at that point clubbing and partying in a a slightly different way but when I started working at Virgin Radio I really fell in love with rock music and I hadn't really had the opportunity to develop that side of my sort of music taste and coming here and realising that the place I'd always come to kind of do electronic you know music parties was like a really amazing amazing thing and I thought... I don't know if that's going to really take off, but of course now you're what? How many years are you into? Beat the rocks? It's massive.
0: Yeah, it's probably about fifteen as well. It's um, I, I mean, we didn't know whether it was going to work. We just thought it was really needed. In fact, the whole island told us it wouldn't work, which is why we called it Beat the Rocks because the island did not rock and hated rock music. So, you know, that was with that period of Matzo Park, Kaiser Chiefs was just, I think, was a, almost like a golden era of Ibiza Rocks as a brand. It was when we were really establishing ourselves. There was a lot of great music. There was a lot of great, um, especially UK bands coming out at that period. I think it was just a really rich um, time for that type of music. And, and so I think it was just, we sort of like bungled it up and brought them all out on holiday to Ibiza. And, you know, I still remember going on the, on the stupid um, theme park attraction in San Antonio with Ricky from the Kaiser Chiefs <laughs> and sort of stumbling off you know these people were like just having the time of their lives I think they were just having a great time mm. and I think it gave a lot of people a real love of Ibiza that probably either never experienced it or never thought it was relevant for them
1: I think so too I mean those are not two small bands at that time they're probably like literally you know, on the cusp of the real explosion of both of their kind of uh, popularity and notoriety so it's kind of and you actually had them at that point i mean they weren't playing in the venue that you have now which of course i'm sure many people have seen is the whacking great big sort of swimming pool you know surrounded hotel um concept and you and they was actually at manumission then and i just remember like you know just having such a ball but it just being such a different kind of thing than it was obviously to all the other times i've been to manumission
0: yeah it was i mean when we we i mean it's like most things. When you start it, you get it completely wrong. I mean, so wrong that it actually is very right, But we, uh, <laughs> which, which is very accidental. But, um, you know, we put the bands on in privilege initially, um, in the back room, um, in the little venue, and sometimes actually even on the main stage. And we had people, oh, my goodness, we had all sorts of people... And we had electric Six you know singing, "I want to take you to a gay bar in the middle of <laughs> in the middle of the club, and people thinking we were absolutely mental. We had Omar superstar as a resident who was you know an hilarious comedy almost a caricature um and we had i mean we just had um amazing acts Fisher spooner we had all sorts of people, and it worked i mean it worked amazingly but the bands hated it because they were playing at three in the morning and they'd arrive and they sort of say right you know expecting to go on at eight nine o'clock which is a traditional sort of gigging concert time and we tell them they had to wait till three a.m. I mean we had like LCD sound system playing and they'd got so drunk by the time it got on stage that I think James Murphy collapsed into his keyboard and, and could only play half the set You know, so so it was quite a sort of weird thing to have done to a lot of people, we probably broke a lot of bands at that period and then we realised that you know it it actually, we had, we had all these little slogans of like um, for dance kids that want to rock and rock kids that want to dance and then we were like no it's all wrong actually it's just people that love great music and, and we sort of took it we sort of thrust it out of privilege and put it into a really small venue which was um at the time it it was it was our ibiza rocks bar and we built a stage and i mean those are some of my favorite moments we had like Mark Ronson playing, and he had so many people on the stage because he had his full, almost, like, full orchestra. So we had to actually strap his saxophone player to the tree because there was no room for him. (laughs) So we had this poor guy who was strapped to the tree so he couldn't fall out. And then we had, like, Kasabian, who were a stadium band, and they walked in, and they actually thought that the stage was the drum riser. I know, they were... <laughs> so, we, you know, we were just... So we, but it was a great... That was a great period, and we filmed those for MTV, we filmed them for Channel 4, we did TV show, but we got some amazing acts. Um, we had the Arctic Monkeys when they were literally at the top, you know, when they were... They just made it big, and, you know, we had roadblocks. We had roadblocks, which actually is what ended up closing us down in that venue because it was actually too successful... For its own good I at mean, bar, like M. Run on get on the move
1: again. Yeah, no, I remember. Well, I, I did go and see pretty much all the bands that you just mentioned. I pretty much came to every single one of those. I remember, uh, yeah, I just remember. I do remember the Fisher Spooner one, that was just well, they were one of my favorite bands, yeah. and I just really, really loved that. But I just do remember interviewing uh, Ricky from the Kaiser Chiefs in the toilets there because we were trying to find somewhere quiet to do it, and there was just literally nowhere to go. And we did it in the toilet and it wasn't smelling too fresh in there. So I remember he just sparked up this cigarette and the reverberations of the walls and the toilet seat itself that we were trying to actually stand on at one point to try and get off the floor. It was just, yeah, the whole thing was absolute chaos and carnage, but so, so brilliant and really raw and edgy and just quite groundbreaking at the time. Because, as you said, Ibiza definitely did not rock for a really long time, but now I think it does in just... So many different ways, and it feels like you know obviously this being called the reset Rebel Pockers, I do feel like you reset the ears of Ibiza and you know the, the, the thing about Pikes back then being kind of called the Ibiza Rocks Hotel, um you know you could just sort of wander around the pool and know that the guests from those gigs might be sort of staying here or wandering around by the pool and that was always a nice thing to kind of pop in here and you really would just sort of expect the unexpected of not knowing who you're going to be sort of propped up against the bar next to. So you must have some pretty good stories. I mean, obviously, Tony Pike set the bar pretty high in terms of the things he got up to in this place but I think you guys have carried on the tradition pr- pretty well.
0: Yeah, I, think, I mean, we've got a lot of stories we can't really talk about but the ones that, um, if I try and filter them... Um, I mean, we've had everyone here. You know, we've had parties with Kylie Minogue and Tiny Temper and uh, loads of giant American acts, I can't even remember the name of. You know, all in the same, all in the same little party. You know, we've had Kate Moss hanging out. I remember hiding behind the DJ box with her, you know, trying to get away from everybody because she was being spotted on the dance floor. You know, we had... um, I mean, this, we've had virtually every rock band that came jumped off off the top balcony into the swimming pool, which is highly dangerous. <laughs> and I've been told I cannot promote anymore, but I still think you're not really a proper rock star to have done that one. Um, have you done it? I've done it too many times. And actually, the last time I did it, which was about three weeks ago I got major concussion because I actually banged heads with the person that pulled me in as I did it so hence I am now fully health and safety on jumping off the balcony we also had someone back flip off about a month ago and I saw the video and they're about five centimeters away from banging their head on the other side so now I am fully into don't jump
1: <laughs> I learned the hard um, way I saw the little sign as it came in about no kids by the pool but um yeah I kind of don't know how what age group the uh, the kids are sort of marketed into I think they get worse as they get older or maybe that's just me I don't know yeah. well obviously and I think you know one of my favorite things as I pass through on the way to come to the back sort of uh, stage area if you like of pikes to record this with you um is that sign you know from Kate and which says why the fuck can I have fun all of the time and I think that you know that's obviously exactly what this place encapsulates there's no real time of day or no weekend it's just that every day is the weekend there is no real kind of you know apart from the fact that what I think uh, breakfast starts at 12 or <laughs> is yeah. that right
0: it actually for some sort of reason they now finish breakfast at 11 I have virtually I, I keep protesting and saying that's ridiculous but I think it's just because they want to start on lunch um, and the kitchen, I don't know, the kitchen are getting very professional. Um, you know, because the, basically the restaurant here is is functioning really, really well. We're fully bought sort of five, ty- five almost six times a week now. So a lot of it, and, and you know, Lee Milne, who's our chef, is Gordon Ramsay trained. And we've got a very distinctive sort of menu flowing now. And I think, you know, they see the nighttime as a restaurant, so they're trying to pull, pull, pull the rest of the eating in the hotel up to rank. So breakfast now finishes at eleven,
1: and you've even got an afternoon tea as well, which obviously uh, looks like very sort of quintessentially British.
0: It is. It's, it's amazing. We have the, the afternoon tea is something that we've been trying to do for a while, and it's basically because we lose the pastry chef is an amazingly skilled well pastry chef and dessert maker so it gives him a reason like it gives him a way to to get his full skills out there
1: I can't imagine well I don't know I never think this place is somewhere I kind of a lot of eating gets done but I maybe I'm completely wrong I have obviously been to the wonderful Sunday lunch here many many times and I have dined here you know, lots and lots of times, but then I have been here a million times, and I think one of my favourite experiences was actually when yeah. when we had Jarvis Cocker here just a few, yeah. probably months ago, I guess, like, when he did, like, really intimate gig, which he was going to play at a gig in Cova Santa, in the cave, because he was on a cave tour, but he literally played to probably, like, 200 people in the courtyard.
0: Yeah, he played, he, we got a phone call saying, can Jarvis come and play? And, like, no-one says, no, Jarvis can't come and play. And um, so we basically um made a stage in the Plaza mayor which is where the restaurant usually is and we also had stereo lab playing who were a big band too who were great but i mean jarvis sang to the palm tree i mean that was the gig i i, I saw him a week later actually and he's like i've never sung to a palm tree before and he called a pamela because basically it's probably the only stage that's, that has direct, like direct limited access by having a palm tree right in the middle of it. So, so in his eyes, he was, he was like shaking his snake hips to um, the palm tree, <laughs> who we've now named Pamela, and I'm making a blue plaque for, that he's going to sign.
1: Are you actually serious? <laughs>
0: yeah, seriously, I'm doing that in the winter. That's my winter project. I saw, I saw his manager last week. She said, yep, yeah, he'll sign it. He's coming back.
1: He's yeah. coming back. What's he coming back, back for?
0: He's going to come back for the literary festival next year. He was going to come this year but couldn't make it. So, so we're getting. Are we getting a lot of interest from rock stars to come into the lit fest? And I think that's where we. I sort of see it as standing apart from other because I think literary festivals can be quite um, dry. It's probably the word um I've heard boring but I've never been to another one so I can't say that really but you know I think they're very staid in their thing so I think where we're where we're trying to move that in and give it our own angle is to to talk about a lot about song you know songwriting, lyrics um a rock angle people that have written books that have maybe come from a musical background um You know, even people like Irving Welsh that we know really well, you know, he used to DJ for us at Money Mission. Mm. And then obviously he's gone on to be a massive writer, films made of a lot of his books. Um, And so, yeah,
1: I think that's just our angle. Mm. Yeah. And that's actually happening this week, so it starts on Tuesday
0: starting on Tuesday it's amazing we're really excited about it we've got because um, we're doing creative writing classes with um, Linda Quinn from Sit Lit in, in London and um, we've got Carl Barrett from the Libertines coming out we've got Miles Kane coming out we've got um, Irving Welsh we've got um, uh, Phil Armstrong we've got Matt Trollope who wrote um, Tony's book out we've got a whole day dedicated to Spanish literature um, and some very um, famous Spanish um, speaking writers and we've also got um, we're doing a screening of Quadrophenia Mm. which I think it's 30 no it's 40 years after the, the film came out which is obviously seminal it was a seminal British film that encapsulated the music and you know I think subculture, youth subculture of the time. So to me that's a really important thing and a strand in what we're doing. You know, I think I've always been really attracted to those subcultures that grow and form part of um youth culture as a main and then go on to influence a lot of a lot of stuff afterwards. And I think Quadrophenia was one of those films. So we've got people like Leslie Ash coming out and some of the cast doing question and answers we've also got um, a, a dinner with a literary table high table with Irvin hosting it which is um, with Black's the members club in London which is quite a literary sort of little spot there So, um, and Luke was the youngest head chef in the UK so you know it's I think it's a really great cultural experience and something that really is quite specialist in many ways but really does something different on that sort of Ibiza landscape.
1: What's your favourite book? What are you reading at the moment?
0: I am actually oh my goodness this has really inspired me actually I'm reading um, a book about Chateau Marmont in um, LA and the thing that highly fascinates me is that they've done it as a biography but it's a biography of a hotel Mm -hmm. and to me I really see a lot of correlations so pikes because i think pikes as an actual almost living organic it's it's about the about the walls and it's about the building but it has a lot of character and a lot of history and it's got a lot of future i see and it's doing a lot of great things so i'm almost it's really inspiring me to see a book in the biography of pikes Mm.
1: what did you think of the book that obviously tony uh, had written about him by matt
0: yeah, I love it. I love it. I think it was a really honest account. I mean, I know a lot of it had to be taken out because they would have been sued, you know. And I know a lot of those stories and I can't repeat them. And so I think it, it, it lost a lot of the rawness, but maybe it needed to because it might have been a bit extreme without with those still in it. It sort of was the story of, I think, him overcoming a lot of stuff. He had a very, very difficult childhood he was a self-made man, and he had a lot of things going on, issues in his life. And you can see where they came from. And I think he was—he was a pioneer. He was a real sort of pioneer, and he really did things differently, which is what a lot of people are doing in Ibiza. So I think it's—he was a character of which you've sort of got to celebrate because a lot of them are dying off, and he represented, I think, a time where you know everything's a bit pc now you can't you know with with um you know social media everything there's not a lot you can get away with these days and i think tony's hero probably wouldn't have got away with a lot of what he was getting up to if it would have been in this day and age so it's almost like a celebration of a bygone era of somebody that really could have been perceived to be quite excessive but i think was just doing it his way which wasn't necessarily conforming to traditional society, but he was having a lot of fun on the way.
1: I mean, that's obviously why Tony ended up on an island like this, and and you know that's why I took a lot of joy from reading that book. I, I really found that kind of reset rebellion in him, which I admire so much, and um, I just think that, yeah, there's just not a lot of people that really would have had the audacity to do the things that he did to make this place work, including you know getting kind of his kit off and getting stuck into the building and manual labor to maintain such a sort of old and crumbled down building which he's restored and you know to its former glory and then some and it's you know it's it's really impressive actually having had a kind of big retreat house of my own on the island it takes a lot of work and blood and sweat and tears to a keep the place looking shipshape, but b you know keep that kind of momentum of people coming here and to get, you know, obviously like Grace Jones and attracting obviously Freddie Mercury and all those kinds of huge rock stars and, you know, George Michael obviously playing, filming his uh, Club Tropicana um, music video by the pool. I mean, there's just so much rich tapestry of like, you know, rock memorabilia and, uh, you know, footage and excitement that's happened here. It's, you know, it's a big baton to be sort of taking on.
0: Yeah, it is, I think, but, I, you know, I think Tony, um, you know, he built it, as you said, with his hands and he sort of passed it on quite willingly because he'd come to the end of what at the time wasn't his life, but it was definitely his, um, you know, he was in his late 70s and he just, she would sort of run out of steam on it. He, you know, the the hotel was in disrepair when we took it on. Um, most things didn't work he hadn't got a single booking on the hotel so he'd got this incredible history and heritage and what we really saw as a jewel, it was a genuine rock and roll hotel that had just sort of been neglected not because of lack of interest or him becoming disheartened with it, literally just because of the ageing process and the sort of disintegration I think that you see that happens the body and with that aging thing was sort of happening to the building because it was almost it was almost like tony's body it was symbiotically attached and it was starting to fall apart and i think when we came in it was almost like him you know getting his 10th young wife Mm -hmm. you know and 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 it's suddenly being restored you know which is and and um we just yeah it we you know, it's taken quite a few years to get like everything functioning. We, every year, we do things that cost an absolute fortune that you never see. We've redone the kitchens completely because they didn't work. Nothing works. You know, we've rewired the whole thing because it was dangerous. with you know, and actually, the main thing with pipes has been how to retain it so it doesn't look like it's changed, which is a much harder thing to do than just reforming something you know architecturally and aesthetically so hopefully when people walk in the door you know we're changing things but they don't notice those changes Mm -hmm. and i think that's what you know that's why tony um was quite happy in letting go because i think he knew that it was going into good hands because we really appreciated and wanted to retain pipes we weren't trying to you know turn it into something that it wasn't we were just trying to make it better
1: I mean there's just yeah it's been a subtle evolution over the years I mean I've been well this was the first place I really started to hang out when I arrived here teaching yoga here for four years when I first got here and those were just I just totally fell in love with the place there wasn't a time that I came here and didn't fancy class or you know even actually when no one turned up to my class which was quite a lot in the first few years um, especially at such a wonderful rock and roll hotel sometimes yeah. people weren't necessarily in the mood for a bit of bending and breathing and I never took it personally and actually I was quite chuffed that sometimes people didn't come to class because it just meant that I could come here and self-practice in one of the most magical spots on the island and I just felt such a special connection in fact that I ended up launching the Ibiza Yoga Festival here and we had that for three years on the spin as well and that was amazing so I just you know there's there's a real there is a kind of spiritual side here somehow of like that music infused you know creative and restorative function of the hotel that I think also people come here to party but they also come here to take a break from the mundane and enter a whole new world of of magic really and uh, there's so many kind of like little rabbit holes that you can get buried down not just for you know uh, the fun side of life but also, you know, I walked in there's like massage going on in the grounds and it just, it is, you know there's a real sense of peace here, particularly in the daytime
0: Yeah, I think it's just a little, to me it's like a little cultural hub of the islands that is uh, slightly more specialist maybe than than anywhere else and doing it our own way, but I mean we're, ju- we're just about to launch, we're going to do a retreat on the 22nd of October you know, which is going to incorporate things like um, elements of fasting, breathing techniques, all this type of stuff Um, we're going to do you know, we have um, we've got a tattoo convention going on at the moment with Femme Fatale we've, you know, we have so many, I think oddments, but everything seems to fit, and I think that's part of Pite's charm, you know the the nooks and crannies the, the, you know, the fact you could turn up and we've got Five incredibly amazing female tattoo artists on the tennis court. We've got, you know, we're still doing the breathing classes and the yoga on Friday, and it's, you know, I think it's just a little bit of, hopefully just a little bit like a perfect cocktail, you know, just enough of the right things to offer something for, for you know, for for most people. When are you open till this year? We're closing our big party. Um, is the thirty first of October, which is our Halloween party. So we do uh, every year. We do a, well. We actually become the Haunted House on the Hill, and we have a series of actors playing various dead people. We have amazing lineups, um, and and that's our sort of big blowout. So then we spend the next month recovering <laughs> and, and scrubbing down the red the red fake blood off the walls, literally. So in fact, I still find the odd cobweb from two years ago when we decided to cover the whole hotel in cobwebs which was the most ridiculous thing <laughs> and then I, I can remember about a couple of years ago when we were redoing doing some reform work in Freddy's, we said that they could um, paint, I thought it was just with some like wiped down red paint, they painted the whole thing as if it was a, a, a torture room bloodbath and they'd used like hardcore industrial red shiny brilliant paint, it took us about 3 months to literally get rid of that. So
1: yeah, that's our big blowout. How I mean, you know, obviously the the yoga platform that you were just talking about is called The Recovery. So how do you how do you recover? Um
0: I it's funny because um in the winter I love to exercise. Um I love walking. I actually enjoy going to the gym occasionally. I got quite into spinning. But once it gets to summer, it all goes out the window just because I do not have the time, and I think part of my aging process is to actually make time and work out how I see it as a priority, which I'm trying to do. One thing that I've got really into is intermittent fasting, which it's so funny because I used to always get ill every summer with, you know, there's a lot of a lot of tourists come in, you get a lot of chest infections, you get a lot of, you know, everybody gets it, and since I've been doing the fasting, I haven't been ill once last summer I didn't have a single illness not a single thing and I would literally put it down to the fasting because I didn't change anything else Um, and I think it's removing stress from your life that I've I've got really good at removing stress and not taking it on I've got really great at delegation when it comes to exercise I'm really trying to meditate a little bit more and just take time and actually just understand what is important what isn't and not get so um I suppose upset about things that you can't change and upset about and and just understand people more Mm. I'm trying to get a bit wiser in my old age (laughs) (laughs) Joe.
1: I mean who are you who do you surround yourself with though because on an island like this you know and in a place like this it must be quite challenging to kind of like walk the path to a degree and sort of stay on that and stay sort of in a high frequency across the course of the summer. So what you know, you kinda of need to surround yourself with a fairly decent crew of people.
0: Yeah, I mean we I mean Pice is a family, I mean, first and foremost, you know, whether it's and you know, every family has their characters. You know, we have Mika who who is just you know, who is our like captain of the night, who's, you know, German, very straightforward, very driven, you know, lives here with his beautiful boyfriend Pedro and, you know, he's he's a real Rock, you have Sonny who you know his. He, I think he's hosting the party for all of us, but he looks better every year from it. So I don't know how he's how he's doing that. We have you know like Steve, who's a real family man and feeds us all. We have Hector, who's very Spanish, and you know he manages the hotel. I'm not quite sure what that entails or what he does day to day, but it works. And you know and then we have people like Kim. Who does like cosmic pineapple? Who brings some amazing people in, and some great events, you know? And that involves everything from opening ceremonies and gong baths, and you know everything that you know. I think that sort of is a bit of a every month that breathes a bit of fresh energy and life into the place. And I really think that you know it really does refocus it. And we have you know we have people um, Sylvia who does all the massage here um, daily. We have. You know, we we have people relaxing by the pool, but I think you know, I have a lot of older friends um, that that are very wise. I think, and and also, I have a lot of really stupid young ones. And I think it's balance. Yeah. I think it's you know trying to find your balance and not and preserving energy because. A lot of people go into the summer and dive in and then get absolutely exhausted and, and spend August trying to recover and I think it 's very because te- there 's so much fun on the island there 's so much temptation it really is the island of of temptation and I think what it is is just balance it 's like you know have a night out, but once you 've had the night out, spend a couple of days recovering don't keep the party going for three days because otherwise you're going to absolutely burn out and I think that was like with the recovery thing you know that was part of what my whole thought process was that you know we sell rock and roll so we can't preach because we can't say sell people drinks and you know, stay up party until four one day, and then say, "Right, you're gonna, we're gonna do a three day yoga retreat where you, you know, you can only juice," and because it just wouldn't work. So, I think my my whole thing that works for me, and a lot of people that I know, is balance. And I think if you can get the right balance and you stick with it, so it's about it's about being in it for the long run. So it's longevity. So doing even if you do. 10 sit-ups a day and that's your minimum and then if you have a great day you do 100 for example I'm not saying it's a sit-up but at least you have something continuously every day I think that's way better than going to the gym for four hours a week and blasting yourself so I think that's just my my ethos now in life is uh, small steps daily and um, think about the whole it's a marathon, not a sprint. Exactly. I am that slow tortoise, Joe.
1: <laughs> you don't look like one. You look amazing.
0: <laughs> it's all right. My boyfriend's the hair. He's only 30, so that's fine.
1: <laughs> oh, there you go. That'll do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, constant battle and race.
1: What, what is it they say, that you're only as old as the man you feel? I heard that somewhere.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, whatever you're doing, it's obviously working. And, but what are the small steps that you're taking each day?
0: Well, uh, it's fasting, so I try not to eat till, like one o'clock till lunchtime and then I try not to eat after midnight so I think that really does reboot your body I think it gives yourself time to recover you know for yourselves to regenerate I really believe in it um I wouldn't go on big long fast just because I mean sometimes I could accidentally do it but I love my food and I don't think and then I think it's about the quality of the food so I mean I am a northerner and I love a to yin yang salad with a plate of chips but I do think it's about, you know, I don't eat meat, I eat healthily, I don't have a lot of sugar. Um, so I think it's just about finding what's right for you. Mm. And that's, that's, you know, for me, I, I need a lot of fresh um, vegetables and, um, and, and fresh fruit and things like that. And lay off the, the processed food.
1: What about sleep? Do you actually manage to get much sleep around here?
0: Well, um, my school run is about to start on Monday, so I'm going to be up at 7.30 for the next month. So I think my sleep is going out the window. But I don't get a lot of early nights just because I'm a night owl and I don't function that well in the morning. But I think that as well, understanding your body type and what works for you. But um, I don't need a great deal of sleep, but I try and get like six, seven hours if I can. Sometimes it's five but I'm
1: all right on that. Well, as I said, I don't don't know what you're doing, but it's definitely working for you. The intermittent fasting, I mean, I definitely believe in intermittent fasting. I think it's, you know, 70% of our body's energy is taken up digesting food. So when it's not doing that, it just has time to attend to all of the other chaos and carnage going on in there from all of the other things that we get up to in Ibiza. And I think, you know, it's a fantastic opportunity to, to repair um, all of the things, and particularly when you go like deeper into three or four or five days, I mean that's when the magic really starts to happen. But would would you ever do a longer fast? No, I would. I'd love to do it, but I just love to not
0: have a great deal of other. Well, maybe you do need lots to do. Maybe is that the thing you take? I've never tried it. Have you tried it?
1: I've I've done ten days, seven days, three days, five days. I've done a lot of fasting and i really do find it yeah absolutely incredible and also you know just get so much energy and so much creative space as well to kind do,
0: of do you drink teas do you do anything or just purely just water and and uh, and I, know, I mean i i've been drinking black coffee only and then i've just heard that you can't do that because that breaks down stuff and it uh, so really you should only have water
1: I mean, everybody that does keto eating or fasting, intermittent fasting, has black black coffee in the morning. But I mean, it depends on how many cups you're drinking. If you're having like seven cups of coffee before you eat food, then that's not going to be so good. Also, going to do your, you know, lymphatic system and your kidneys and liver a lot of damage. But ultimately, infusion teas when you're fasting is what you are living on. Obviously, a lot of water, litres and litres and litres. Also, enemas have to happen because obviously when you stop eating, everything shuts down down there. Um, But I think, uh, you know, then you have a small glass of diluted juice um, for lunch and then you have broth in the evening so that keeps all the minerals and um, you know nutrients that you need to, to not completely hit the skids really um, and really kind of feel completely floored by the whole experience but I, I did a fast with Alona. I don't know if you know her Alona, up know? in the hills of uh, San Juan, she's been on this podcast a few times and um, I did a seven day fast three times with her now and I just yeah, find the whole experience and the way she hosts it with her sort of shamanic Interludes and singing circles and just that space up there on the mountain is, is a really cool place to be.
0: And how did the food taste after seven days?
1: Well, this is the wonderful thing. So at the end of seven days she stews an apple with some, uh, some cinnamon and she puts it on a plate. It's a very small apple and you get a knife and fork and you're supposed to sit there and eat it and you actually... Not only does it taste like the most magnificent apple you've ever eaten in all your days, you can't you've got no space to finish you cannot act it's like obviously mindful exercise to sort of stop when you're full. But that apple is just like yeah, unbelievable. And then food you know, it's like your taste buds have been completely reborn.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well you've inspired me. I will try I will try maybe I'll try a twenty four hour one. Mm. And then move on to like two days, three days and that could be my limit, but I will never say never. Never say never. <laughs>
1: There's a lot of fasting that goes on in Ibiza in the summer. I think, you know, most people come here and probably not a lot of solid foods passes their, their lips at all, to be fair. That's certainly what used to happen to me in my 20s. So um, And, I you know, I think party people often do look like the best, you know, ageing process. Because I think, A, they're young at heart because they surround themselves with young people and go out and still have a lot of fun. B, they don't eat a lot because they're obviously, far, you know, they're, they're on it. They don't get time to eat. Maybe the drinking thing's not quite so good, but see, they're also dancing. And for me, that is like the biggest meditation and therapy of all time. And I think those three things combined, as well as a little bit of sunshine and Ibiza, people go back looking like 10 years younger.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I've got a lot of friends that are in their 50s and even friends that are in their 70s, sixty. you know, and they actually look younger than people I know maybe even back in the UK they've got really hard jobs that could be in the 40s and I think there is you know one thing that everyone seems to share is a sort of love of life and Mm -hmm. and that you know I think it's you know if you're active and you you surround yourself by things you love I think that is part of the part Mm -hmm. of the beauty of it.
1: If there's three things that you didn't know then that you do know now, just for anyone kind of maybe aspiring to kind of live the lifestyle that you have in Ibiza, like, what would those three things be?
0: Save money. I was always really rubbish at that. I mean, someone once said to me, you should save, like, 10% of everything you earn. And, I mean, we had some great years of earning lots of money with my Mission Blue It All. Uh, I really wish I'd done that. Um, I think... I think think maybe... um, you know exercise regularly and just keep it up and that's something that you know I realized periods in my life that I've actually kept active I feel better I feel mentally better and I think also my last one was I was always a perfectionist I always you know I trained as an architect um, I did my master you know and I always wanted everything to be perfect and a lot of time it would stop me actually achieving anything because I wouldn't be happy until in my mind and nothing is ever perfect that you achieved your perfect results whether it was on a design level or anything and one day it just hit me that it was better to actually just do something Mm -hmm. than wait for that the perfection in it and that was quite a a, like a life-changing moment I think that really has aided my career and just my life Mm -hmm.
1: I think, yeah, if we're all sitting around waiting for things to be perfect. We could, yeah, our whole life could pass us by before we actually achieve any of the goals that we're aiming towards. Because, as we all know, life isn't life isn't really like that. But I love the fact that you said that you just tra- you trained as an architect. Was that what you were doing before you came to Ibiza? Or? Yeah, I,
0: tra- I trained. I went. I did my degree in Manchester, then I went to London to do the the the, the, the masters bit, the next bit, and, um, and then we came out here and um, started ManuMission. So. I, but why? Because <laughs> it was way more fun. I don't know. It was just something to do in the summer. And then it was, it was. Um, yeah, I just got. I basically joined the circus of Ibiza and never left. But it was, it was. You know, it, I think that skill, that design thing, is something that I'm still heavily into. And I mean, like one of the projects I want to do next is to do, try and open pipes in the Joshua Tree, and I want to do it as an experimental architectural thing you know when i want to have an, an architectural banali there and stuff so i think as i get older i'm going to go more back into architecture mm. and building products i want to really start to experiment with hemp as a building material you know i think it's one of those things mm. architects are quite obsessive and quite detail focused and quite you know in the main a lot of architects are married to other architects because other people won't put up with them and i think as you know it's something that i've i've always loved i've always done the design work you know, and um, the renovations, and, you know, I do a lot of stuff, collections and things like that, furniture, but I'm definitely going to start moving back into more of an architectural world.
1: What's, what's, I mean, you say that, you know, you're evolving this place, but what's your kind of, like, long-term vision for it? What's the one thing that you'd, you know, like, to be remembered for if, like, Tony in 20 years time 30 years time 40 years time that you you know pass and this is still yours what would what would that legacy be or look like that you'd like to leave behind
0: I think it will just hopefully or be retaining a true piece of the essence of the original Ibiza that we fell in love with you know because to me um the smaller the world gets the the more uh, faceless everything becomes and the more consumed we're becoming consumerism and I think you know it's like there's a few very special places in Ibiza that still have a very authentic vibe you know one of the things that you know I loved about Ibiza was that it didn't matter when you first came here it was a f- sense of freedom who you were how much money you had what creed nationality age you were and I think that's still true in Pikes we don't have a VIP we just did a new um, piece with um, the Block Festival which at the front they've just put up VIP is a loser concept and I strongly believe in that that you know as far as we're concerned here everybody um, if you've got something to put in then you're as valued as anybody else and I think you know I'd like to think that we retain some of the true essence of Ibiza and uh, you know, there, you're just seeing it sort of in many ways disintegrate, and and as more money comes into the island, there are less and less, you know. But people rebel against it, so obviously, there's going to be lots of people doing the similar thing. But I'd like to think that we can, um, yeah, like curate some really interesting um, events that aren't happening, like the film festival that we plan on doing like the Literature Festival and bring in great names just bring great things that aren't already here that have a cultural value and retain an authenticity to them I think is what what I'd like to do
1: I'd like to create a podcast festival here. Can we do that please? I'd
0: actually love to do that. I think you should lead that, Joe. I think we <laughs> should do that. I think it'd be really, really interesting. You know, and we're trying to experiment with them as well. I think it's just it is a great way. I'm i I'm starting. I'm a slow learner. I'm a technophobe but but I'm really understanding more and more the nature of how people are connecting and what people want to listen to and you know I think it's just such an incredibly um value tool you know podcaster instagram is i mean you know i talked to some girls that do TATIC, you know their reference for everything is instagram you know and i think it's, it's just such a valuable tool i think we should do one yeah
1: it's funny because when i was teaching yoga here and obviously i was completely in love with the place and am, and i think i had this dream to start a radio station at beat the rocks radio in that room directly over there by the entrance, and Leanne took me to it, and she showed it to me, and I, we had a conversation about it. I think I wrote you a picture about seven years ago now, but um, I don't know if you ever read that email. But you know, now you're doing the bikes podcast, which is, you know, a really great thing, and I'm loving the fact that you are, you know, sort of taking the the hostess uh, role on that. And it, you know, I listened to it the other day, the first one with uh, obviously Mr. DJ Harvey and artwork, and it, yeah, it's a fantastic fantastic medium it's my absolute passion so um i'm really glad that you've joined the podcast gang yeah
0: thank you yeah we're gonna keep them coming at you fast and furious i think yeah
1: well i'll I'll write you a pitch about the podcast festival um and um yeah it's just been really lovely to have a little bit of your time here this afternoon and be sort of like deeply entrenched in this wonderful thinker creation in fact the last time i think i sort of really remember being like um super inspired the last thing I will touch on is you know the podcast that I recorded here was um with Howard Marks and the wonderful literary event that he did here on a couple of occasions but one in particular sort of stood out and was obviously sadly because he wasn't very well anymore and um now so sadly no longer with us but you know he's the biggest rebel of them all and that's why this place just really kind of encapsulates that in a way that no other place for me really does and I think that anyone that's you know shipped that quantity of drugs around the world and and not really thought that deeply perhaps about the consequences or or cared and I I just really just have always thought that he's one of the most incredibly fearless humans that um, I've ever had the pleasure to meet on three occasions thanks to you and thanks to being here and being part of the kind of family in some way, shape, or form, and it just, yeah, he just really was such an amazing individual. So, how are you kind of feeling about him not being here now? Well, I think it's
0: he was actually, I think he was probably one of the most intelligent people I've ever met as well. I think he had two or three degrees from amazing places, and he, you know, he was well traveled, he had the most soothing, amazingly calm voice, mm-hmm. probably because he smoked cum, like so much, but he was, he was, um yeah he was an amazing character. He used to d j for us at manumission as well. that's how we knew him. he's friends of Irvin's. that's <laughs> how he was very connected to all this thing and I can remember when he um just before he died he came out with his his girlfriend and he did a sort of last supper. He did a series of last suppers and you know he loved pies he loved you know he liked tony he loved you know we was we were friends with him and he was just a very genuinely Loyal, great guy that I think just truly believed that, you know, weed should be legalized, that it wasn't, you know, something that should be illegal, and he, he stood by that. And, you know, if, I mean, his book was, I mean, it's, it's it's a classic, isn't it?
1: And isn't that dream coming alive with, you know, CBD oil basically in Holland and Barrett these days? I mean, yeah. basically, it's, it's just so ridiculous that his lifelong kind of, you know, crusade to. To, to create something like that, and the fact that he actually went to like America's toughest state penitentiary and paid a fairly high price for, you know, shipping a, a bit of that from A to B is just like quite ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? And Maybe he was just very visionary and before his time. I think he was one of those. You know, you get people that that uh, that see a clearer picture and stick by it because it fits with their moral principles, even though it, it that acts against them. And I think he was one of those people. And um, yeah, it is. It is bizarre, you know, that 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 is now happening, and you know, whole sections of farmland are being bought up to to turn into, you know, to um, cannabis farms. And I'm sure within the next couple of years it'll be legal in the UK, and it'll be legal, you know. So it is um, changing times. I think changing times. You know, I was in California quite a lot last year, and you know, you can walk into a store and buy you know drink uh, weed in california and you know i think it yeah he was a bit of a a, a groundbreaker i think mm-hmm. way before his time and i've really really i mean i know it was mr nice with his bot, but genuinely one of the nicest men mm-hmm. you could ever meet
1: no i have to agree with you and um, yeah the, the short amount of time that i did spend with them was just yeah I mean it's absolutely fascinating and his voice was just like honey wasn't it like dripping all over you it was just like so amazing to just sit there and chat to him and yeah very intelligent and um, very cool and just very interesting and I think yeah one of life's yeah great lights that's uh, that's passed us, passed on
0: he actually said because I remember sitting. he taught me a lot actually with the, the death process because he was dying he knew he was dying didn't have long to go he came out on his last sort of holiday here And I was thinking, what do you say to someone that's dying? It's that whole, you know, British, what do you do? How do you... And I just... I just I just thought... I just sort of said, how are you feeling? How are you feeling, Howard? He went, well... I can't do the accent, but he went, well, you know, Dawn, I'm not depressed, and I've accepted it, and I've been watching a lot of TV. And that was sort of it, and that was his thing, you know. He'd never watched TV his whole life, and he'd got a TV there, and he said he'd discovered television he'd realised he wasn't going to be depressed and he'd accepted it and I think that was quite like a wow you know and he was just making the most of it
1: Well he had a a very young beautiful lady by his side as well which was wonderful to see that he had that support as well uh, at the end and yeah I mean why not watch a bit of telly but um, (laughs) I think I asked him what his reset button was because I was making this thing called the reset radio thing at the time and he said sleep
0: yeah. I think we all need more sleep. I think that's one of the yeah, great life's life's great luxuries is time and sleep.
1: I think well, sleep and weed, I think was his uh Yeah. yeah sure <laughs> shortly after. after. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. It was it was quite funny actually because my my son Tyler was very young at the time and all these kids, you know, these kids started to they'd obviously pulled all their money together and they'd bought the most um complex smoking kit you've ever seen. I didn't actually know what things did. And we found them. We found them in one of the school bags and obviously all the parents were devastated, but I mean every child goes to that thing. And I brought the weed in. It was in a giant jam jar. I'd never actually seen that much weed in one place. And um and I I gave it to Howard and I was like, Howard, just tell me, is this like some is it skunk? Is it really? Is it going to kill my child? And he took one little smoke. He was like, nah, Dawn, it's fine. He went, it's a play. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually got him to test uh, test the haul that we found for the first time on our kids, and he was just not impressed. <laughs> not impressed at all.
1: <laughs> Way too light. It's not going to show them anything.
0: Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
1: <laughs> and how did the kids get on with their, their first a few little tokes?
0: Oh, no, I don't I
1: mean, um, they... Um,
0: it's a very long story, which involves some of the kids breaking in, not my son, I'm very thankful to say, breaking into um, the schoolyard and um, being found in the tuck shop, mansion on chocolate. <laughs> so it's probably like a proper Smoker's smokers' Delight story, that one.
1: <laughs> I like Billy Bunting.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's a true story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I quite like that story. I'm sure I did something fairly similar when I was younger, but um, I think I was very, very sick afterwards, and through, through the whites, as they, they call it. Yeah,
0: yeah, probably me too, yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, Dawn, thank you so much. I think I've taken up enough of your time, but really, really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, if anyone wants to listen to the Pikes podcast, it is on the air, um, if that's such a thing, on iTunes and Spotify and all the usual places. And thank you so much for joining us here on the Reset Rebel podcast.
0: No, oh, thanks for having me. And let's get that um, podcast festival.
1: Okay. I would absolutely love that, as I'm sure with the rest of Ibiza would. So, um, yeah, we'll talk about that again.
0: Thank you. Reset Rebel!